Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters here with Mike Frost and today we are going to discuss asset allocation. Mike, what's up? How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. This is going to be a great topic, kind of ties into what we talked about last week with the modern portfolio theory. Exactly. Yeah. So last week, like Mike mentioned, we talked about modern portfolio theory, what it means, how people use it, and kind of our thoughts on on that theory here at Mach 1. Today, and really that theory just touches on asset allocation and how you're going to, or how you should allocate your assets. Today, we're going to just get into the weeds a little bit more on asset allocation, um, defining that and getting into some examples. So that's the goal for today is that you leave here with a better understanding of what that is. Hey, Matt, before we jump into the details, uh, you know, a lot going on in our country with the, the, the unrest and people may be questioning like, well, how is that going to affect the market? Well, there's been a study done by the CNBC and folks like that, and basically the stock market doesn't care. They go. It went back over several years and looked at different things like that and civil unrest. And the market, the quote here uh, from Jim Cramer from Mad Money is, at the end of the day, the market has no conscience. Investors are simply trying to make money, and that's why they're crowding into the stay-at-home economy stocks. So over a long period of time, the market just assumes that we're going to get back to normal, whatever that may be. And as evidence of, as of today, six, five, nine o'clock this morning, the market's up almost 700 points. Yep. Yeah. The market's up big. I was just looking at, so the market, I mean, the Dow, when we say the market, right? We're kind of talking about all of the major indexes, but to be more specific, you know, the Dow, the Dow's up, up 700, over 750 points, um, but we still have a ways to go before, specifically with the Dow, before we get back up to to recent highs that we saw in February, you know, the NASDAQ has, I think reached highs again as of like yesterday. So to your point, Mike, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, stress and anxiety in our country today with um, the protests, with the pandemic, you know, and a lot of valid concerns for a lot of people, but the market doesn't, doesn't seem to care all that much. Yeah. To your point, the S and P year to date, as of today, six, five is down about two and two and a half percent. And the Dow Jones Industrial is down a little over 5% as of today. So it looks like we're on our way back. And again, hopefully we can get back to some semblance of normal. But the stock market is is showing encouragement, especially with the job market this morning, the good numbers that we had from that. So that kind of kicked it off. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about this morning, went on a walk and just randomly, my, I had a thought of, I wonder if Jeff Bezos is going to be the first trillionaire. <laughs> because it seems like, you know, where we're at today with all of the tech stocks and the stay-at-home stocks and the shipping and the online purchases and everything, you know, a lot of those companies have just been doing really well and have, have done well through all of this. What will be interesting to see is can they keep that up and then how long does it take some of the companies and industries that got really hit, like the airline industry, the oil industry, you know, energy sector, how long does it take those sectors and those industries to, to catch up? Because they really took the full brunt of this, you know, recent event. Yeah, and the airline industry had a big pop. I saw American Airlines this morning. They jumped uh, quite a bit today. Right. 
uh, with people getting back to work, the Carnival Cruise Lines, another one, it had a big jump today as well. So, and that's all part of things we're going to talk about as far as the different asset classes. Right. And just for full disclosure, we, we're not recommending any of these companies or these stocks, just talking about them in general terms and kind of what's been going on with them. So let's look at, let's talk about asset allocation. So let's start with Mike. I think we actually pulled the same definition off of our very trusted media source, Investopedia. So let's what give us a definition of asset allocation, what that is, and, and we'll get into it a bit. Asset allocation, again, we talked about this last week uh, about as part of the modern portfolio theory, but if you were to pull it up on Investopedia, asset allocation is an investment strategy that aims to balance risk and reward by apportioning a portfolio's asset according to an individual's goals risk tolerance, and investment horizon. So there's three pieces to asset allocation. There's equities, fixed income, and cash and cash equivalents. So Matt, what is an equity? Yeah, great question. So an equity, you know, we talk a lot about equities in the investing world. So an equity is, it can actually mean several things. Most commonly though, people referring to it as just like a stock. So you own an equity position or a share or a stock in a publicly traded company. So that would be the most common example of an equity. So when people hear that on the news, the equities, this or that, they're basically talking about stocks, the stock market, things invested into the stock. All right. So now we know what no equities are. That's part one of the asset classes, fixed income. That sounds like somebody in retirement, they're on a fixed income. That's not what this means, is it? No, fixed income uh, most often is is referring to uh, an asset that produces a steady yield, maybe like a bond or a treasury or something that's paying a dividend. You know, you can even look at it, maybe a, a very quality blue chip dividend paying stock is kind of a fixed income alternative. I'm not saying it's defined as fixed income, but some people look at that as a fixed income alternative because you're investing, typically you're investing in fixed income for that yield with the hopes that, okay, over time, the, the underlying asset itself will also appreciate in value, but you're not, you're not looking at it for, for growth necessarily. And when you say fixed income and the yield off of it, you're talking about how much it's going to produce in a given period of time. Exactly. So if we bought a, let's say we bought a bond, you know, paid a hundred bucks for it. So par was a hundred bucks and it had a 3% coupon, meaning it was going to pay us 3% per year. That 3% is the yield that we um, associate with that fixed income product. Right. So of the three asset classes we talked about, the equities, that's basically stocks. We talked about fixed income. An example will be bonds. So what's a cash or a cash equivalent? So cash and qu- cash equivalent is exactly what it sounds like. It's cash or something as close to cash, you know, that's not really going to pay you much. Maybe like a money market fund, a savings account, you know, something that's not really producing much of a return, but it's very, very liquid. So it's, it's very easy to access, easy to get to. So that that is kind of the benefits that you, you think of when you think of cash or cash equivalents. Uh, would that include a CD or is that more of a fixed income? I think you could look at it both. It also depends on what the yield is and how long you're tying it up into the CD. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of CDs. There's brokerage CDs, there's CDs at banks. But yeah, what what does your definition say? Is it give say that it falls under? Okay, so... It really does. And bonds, of course, is the fixed income. We talked about that. And we right. know what the stocks are. So cash would be just money you have in cash or you sit in your, like you said, money market account, checking account. All right. So we've covered the three main assets, the equities, stocks, fixed income, 
mainly bonds, and cash or cash equivalents, which is just that, cash and cash equivalents. All right, so those are the three main assets uh, under the asset classes. So what do we do with those? Yeah, so this is where we look at, you know, when we start talking about asset allocation, you know, the question is of what we help people with, where do we put our money, right? We're saving, we're working, we're putting this money aside on a monthly basis. We have our 401k, our Roth IRAs. How do we invest this? Where do, what, where do we put this money? We can't just leave it all sitting there necessarily. I mean, I guess we could, but is that really what's best? And so we start talking about the various asset classes. We look at, well, what portion of our investments and our, our savings do we need to have allocated to these three asset classes? And so that's where, if, if you listened to last week, and if you didn't, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we talked about, as I guess, as well as the podcast before that, we talked about financial planning. We really want to start with what's the plan and the goal so that we can work towards what is the appropriate allocation of the assets. Well, there are some investments out there that include all of these, right? People have heard of these things called target date funds. Uh, They seem like, man, that would be the one-all, be-all, the answer to everything. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Target date funds are are becoming more and more common. Most people recognize them solely because it's maybe the the only or one of the more prominent options in their 401k plans at work. So a target date fund is is basically like putting putting your investments or the attempts to put your investments on autopilot. So you start out as you're younger and you might pick a fund that's called the 2060 fund, right? And so it's it's got a target date of 2060. And so what the thought is as you're younger, you know, you can afford to take more risk and so you can have a higher percent allocated to equities or stocks. And so that target date fund will start maybe in 2020 with a 90% allocation to equities and 10% to fixed income and cash. And then as you get closer to that 2060 date, it will slowly over time, it will shift. And so you'll end up with a much lower percentage in stocks and equities automatically. And so it's kind of like a, the goal of it is, it's kind of like a set it and forget it. It, it's uh, the and again if you go to investopedia it says it's like on being on autopilot all in one vehicle a diversified portfolio that that sounds all great uh so should everybody be in those or are there some downsides well i mean i think most of the people that we're working with want to have more of a hands-on approach and want to understand what they're investing in you know i'm not gonna I, i'm not one to say that that a target date fund is horrible and that no one should ever use them uh if you're someone who maybe doesn't want to ever have to think about your investments, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is an appropriate option for you. But for most of our clients, most of the people that we're talking to, they want to, you know, understand what they own, maximize their investments, do it in the most strategic way possible. So typically speaking, we don't look at, we don't see those as the, as the best option. And one of the things about target date funds is once you're in it, you're in it, regardless if you're, you know, 30 years old, married and got three kids, or you're 50 years old, single, no kids, it's the same investment. There is no customization for you specifically. And again, that's kind of the one size fits all program, which is one reason we really don't uh, advocate those. Right. And I always tell people, you know, know what you own. Um, and in a mutual fund in general, it can be very difficult to, to know what you own just because of the, the way that those are, those products are structured, but even probably more so in a target date fund because of the movements in the automatic asset allocation shifts that are taking place. It's really hard to keep track of 
what do I own? What's the current allocation? You, you can find all of that information, but you have to do some digging. So again, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily recommend those to everybody, but, um, you know, I, I would educate yourself on it. For sure. Absolutely. And just a one quick fact here from Morningstar. It says, over the long term, stocks slash equities do better. This is 1926. Large stocks have returned an average of 10% per year, where long-term government bonds, fixed income bonds, have returned between 5 and 6%. Again, that's according to Morningstar. But again, long periods of time. Uh, if you're invested in the market and you're expected to be in there in the market for a while, and we think of investing as five years or more, anything less than that would be savings, uh, you would be better off in the equities or in the stock market. Right, right. And so to take a step back, when we're looking at asset allocation, the whole point of diversifying or having an, uh, an allocation for your assets that's you know, not owning all of, the, all of one thing or one position is to diversify and try to lower your risk, right? If we all felt like, I mentioned Amazon earlier, if we all felt very confident Amazon, there was a 100% chance Amazon was going to be worth twice as much in five years, right? We would just buy Amazon. There'd be no reason to do anything else, right? But there's a lot of risk associated with that. So there's two different types of risk. We have systematic risk and unsystematic risk. So systematic risk is broader market risk, right? So we're we're looking at do um, do we think or is the market as a whole going to go down? That's the risk that you know that we're talking about with systematic risk, and that's really what we're trying to do. That's what that's what we're using asset allocation for, trying to diversify diversify away from systematic risk. When you look at a stock portfolio and diversifying into a bunch of different stocks. That's diversifying away from unsystematic risk because you don't want to only own one company. You want to diversify into different industries and different companies. And so that's unsystematic risk and what you're trying to avoid there. So an example, we just experienced a 30% downturn. The entire market, almost everything took a dive. So which one of those risks would that be, Matt? Right. So that's an example of systematic risk. So we have broader market risk and the, you know, the market as a whole took it. And that's what we talked about last week of modern portfolio theory is asset allocation um, can help with unsystematic risk, I think. I think the goal of it is, is to avoid and, and lower your risk with systematic broader market risk. But that's what we, we touched on last week. We don't think it necessarily does a great job of that, especially when you need it most. And again, as we spoke last week, uh, some of the strategies we use here help us mitigate that complete market downside, which we have experienced. Right, right. Because what, you know, what we all have to be aware of and an investor has to be aware of is just because maybe a bond is supposed to be less volatile doesn't mean it is. And people have experienced that. And so it's something we definitely want to be aware of. And we also have to understand when we're looking at asset allocation and where to put our money that each asset class has its own set of risks, right? Even cash. So cash, maybe we have money in a savings account and our worry is not, well, that, that account is going to decrease in value because of market performance. The risk associated with cash is is inflation. What about what about rising inflation? What if milk costs six dollars a gallon in three years? Well, that ten thousand dollars that you had set in your your savings account maybe wasn't exposed to a market sell off, but now your spending power is much less than it was 
previously. And so now we've talked about equities and we've talked about the types of risk and equities. And now we talked a little bit about some of the risk on fixed income, like in bonds. So here at Mach 1, we're not real big fans of bonds. We use annuities as our fixed income uh, alternative. So what? tell us about annuities, good, bad, and different. What do you think? Yeah, I think all the above. <laughs> they're good, bad, and different, depending on what you're using them and how you're using them, right? So there are annuities out there that we, we think are very good products and are very appropriate for some people. We have clients that don't own an annuity. They don't have any money in annuity. We have other clients who have maybe 100% annuities just because of their very specific situation. Those are the two extreme examples, right? More often than not, someone has a little bit maybe in an annuity and a, and, and a good portion in um, their their brokerage accounts. But annuities are good. We look at annuities as a good alternative to that fixed income piece because we eliminate the market exposure, so the market risk. But we typically, we can still achieve the same, if not maybe even better, yield that we're expecting from our bond portfolio without the volatility that a bond portfolio often provides. And there's several types of annuities, and there's one that we do not use here, uh, called a variable annuity, which would be just like being in the market, right? Right, yeah. Variable annuity, the, a very simple way of looking at it from the way I've always looked at it is you're still investing in the market. It's just going to be more expensive and you're going to have fewer options. So if we want to take market risk, we can do that much more effectively outside of, a, of an annuity. And so the other types of annuities which we really like are the fixed and indexed annuities, uh, which once you put your money in, uh, it won't go down unless you take the money out or something like that were to happen. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So just like anything, annuities have, have their risk, right? We don't want to put we don't want to put too much money with one company. We have to make sure we're working with good, solid companies and all of those things. So we're always looking at everything through an unbiased lens as much as possible. But we think they're a great alternative. And what I always try to communicate with clients is that we can't, like I just mentioned earlier, you know, even cash has its risk because of inflation. We can't run from risk. We have to be, we, we just have to decide what risk are we willing to accept because we could leave everything at the bank in CDs, right? But we're taking on the risk of higher inflation. Inflation's been very low for a decade or two. What if we enter into a four, five, six, seven percent inflationary period year over year, right? So even leaving your money in cash or cash equivalents, you're making a decision that this is the risk I'm willing to accept, that my money might be worth less or have less lower spending you know, power in the future. So then the, the, the real key, and we touched on this a little bit last time, is that when you as a client come in and we look at your specific situation, then we put together a portfolio that's targeted, that is modified, that is customized to your specific needs, whether that's X percent in equities, X percent in fixed income. That is where the magic takes place here at Mach 1, how we put it together specifically for the client and their needs. Exactly. And that's where we use our financial planning to help us reverse engineer what rate of return do we need. If we only need a 1% return and we're going to have more money than we ever will need, why would we allocate in a way that you know, we're trying to get a 10%. We're taking a lot more risk than we may need to. It's not that we can't, but let's let's define what that required rate of return is and uh, see what that looks like so that we can back into. An, an example might be 
let's say we had a fixed index annuity that we felt over the next 10 years was going to be able to average a 4% return. Pretty kind of common from what we've seen over the years. And then we have another equity-based portfolio that we feel strongly could average an 8% return. Okay, so we have an equity portfolio that's average, and this is just an example, but an 8% return on the equity portfolio and a 4% return on a fixed indexed annuity. And we have a client that comes in and we put together a financial plan for them and we find out that their target rate of return that they need is 6%, right? Well, we could, just to keep it as simple as possible, we could allocate 50% towards the fixed index annuity that we feel like is going to earn 4% average over time and 50% towards the equity portfolio that we're targeting an 8% return on. And collectively, those should average about a 6% return. That's a very basic way of explaining kind of how we come to that. There's a lot more that goes into it, but that's what we're looking for. It's not, do we favor the fixed index annuity over the equi equity portfolio or vice versa? It's what what's the target rate of return? Yeah, and those rates of return are generalized. They're averages. Nothing is guaranteed. So just for, for examples there. Right. So, and with that, Matt, what we do a little bit different here is like they need that 6% return. What It's very important that we provide downside protection the way we do it here at Mach 1, which is fairly unique to what we do. So the person needs 6% uh, return. And like last year, the market was up 30%. And this year it went down 30%. If we can minimize that downside and take advantage of the upside, then we're going to be positive going forward, very much like a lot of our clients are doing currently. Right. What I've learned over, over the years is that most people, if, if they can achieve a similar long-term return with less risk and have it be a little bit smoother ride getting there, then they love that idea. They don't necessarily always have to hit the highs when the highs are you know, being hit in the market. They definitely don't want to hit the lows. And so that's kind of our general with the, the options and some of the things we've discussed and we'll get into in future podcasts. The, those strategies are designed to essentially, it's not to limit or decrease our long-term performance. It's how can we smooth that ride out over time so we don't, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. So we've talked about equities today, stocks. We've talked about fixed income bonds, annuities, then we've talked about cash and cash equivalents. Now we've just talked about some downside protection. Uh, so when we put all that together, the folks at Mach 1, our clients, they can see how that all fits and it all works for them. And something we haven't talked about and may not have time in this podcast is sequence of returns. Right. Meaning as, as someone gets closer to retirement, like myself, now is the absolute worst time for my portfolio to take a hit. So that's why even it's even more important to have that downside protection. Absolutely. Yeah. Having funds not tied to market or that aren't exposed to market risk give you what some people, sometimes I refer to it as a volatility buffer, right? You have another place that you can pull funds or income when needed if your equity portfolio just took it. So if, if some of these topics are of interest to you, we'd love to, we'd love for you to email podcast at mock-onefinancial.com, ask questions. Natalie, do we have any questions today? There are none today. Okay, no questions. So we need you we we need you to get on the email. Um, send us some questions. We love we had one last week. We love answering those and talking about those. We're gonna, gonna go ahead and wrap up today. Mike, do you have a thought of the day for us? I do, Matt. And this is from Robert G. Allen. It says, How many millionaires do you know who have become wealthy 
by investing in savings account. I rest my case. <laughs> Especially over the last couple of decades, paying exactly. less than 1%. So, all right. So don't have a title for our next podcast. We're hoping to have Wayne Ferbert from Alpha DNA on next week's podcast. So watch out for that. We're, we're really excited about that. So hope everybody has a great weekend. We look forward to talking to you next week. And we appreciate Natalie as always our marketing director. She's in here running this. She produces the podcast for us. So she works harder than any of us and she doesn't get any of the credit. So we, Amen. we appreciate Natalie. Um, but that's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com slash disclosures.